Father, I confess to you that everything I want to see happen in the next several minutes, I can't make happen. Uh, So I ask you to please come into this place and through your word, reach down into our hearts and pull out all the bad stuff, enliven all the good stuff. Help us to see all the areas where we need change and give us the power to change in Jesus Christ. Develop in us Christ-like love for you and for each other and for the world. Lord, help me now to serve your people well and speak powerfully through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we'll be today for our commissioning service. Um, As you're flipping there, I want you to think about your schedule, your weekly schedule. What's your schedule like? Your week, your days, your months? Is it full? How many, of you, how many of you would say, yes, I have a full schedule? Okay, almost all of you. And the ones who didn't raise your hand were afraid that you'd be volunteered to do stuff if you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, I think we pretty much all feel like we have a full schedule. Many of us feel frantic about it, running from task to task, place to place, busy, driven from the moment our feet hit the floor to the end of the day when our head finally hits the pillow. And today is a commissioning service, so I'm going to be speaking to um, those who minister, those who have volunteered to minister in some specific capacity at the church. And I'm also going to be speaking to everybody who claims to be a Christian, because all Christians are ministers. Um, We're all called to serve. When I say minister, I basically just mean applying yourself, working to build up disciples, to make disciples, to build up the church, the body of Christ. So we're all called to that. Several of you have volunteered or been coerced into specific roles here at the church that are recognized on the board or on the uh, deacon or deaconess boards or on committees or a billion different ways uh, that people serve. So I'm talking to you folks with busy schedules about doing more, basically, I mean, many of you probably decided not to be nominated for positions because when? When would I do something else, something more? And I feel the same way. I've got things I'd like to do, but when? So my question, before we read this passage, with all this busyness, all this work, how fruitful is it, really? What are we accomplishing with all this frenzied, busy life that we've developed for ourselves. What if I told you that thinking in terms of ministry, which includes more than just these committees and boards at church, it includes your family life, your attempts to parent your children, to love your spouse, your attempts to love your people at work. Um, What if I told you that it's possible that most of that was a waste of time? But, If we can figure out what I'll call true ministry, our work could be the most eternally significant aspect of our lives. 
So there's a possibility that a lot of our energy output is completely unproductive and unfruitful. And then there's a possibility over here that some of it, though, if it's real, if it's true, according to what we're about to read, could be eternally significant and life-changing for many people. That's the mindset I want you to bring as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you're able, if you would stand as an expression of honor as we read from God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we will read the entire chapter. But it's only 13 verses, so I think we can do it. 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 1. Paul writes, If I speak... In the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So here is the big idea. A lack of love completely negates even the highest ministry endeavor. A lack of love completely negates, nullifies, uh, makes worthless. Even the highest, the most public, the fanciest ministry endeavor, ministry work. And remember, when I say ministry, I don't just mean like what I'm doing here. I mean all our attempts to nurture people, uh, and it flows out, not just in the church, but even in our families. Lovelessness renders it all worthless. That's the big idea. It makes me think of... um, my Aunt Beth, I have an aunt, Beth Broadway. She's always been real involved with our denomination, especially in youth ministry. And she goes to Longs Grove, and she always got me and my cousins involved with her. And she would put us to doing all kinds of work for her. We would go to Longs Grove and work all day 
to gather up the leaves over there. The leaves are terrible at Long's Grove. And she'd, she'd give us a hamburger. That was always our compensation. And she used to live across the street over here. And I remember vaguely, but I remember when I was a little kid being over there. And once again, she was putting me and my cousins to work. This time we were folding papers and stuffing envelopes for her. I'm sure this was illegal. I was not of age to be working. So she set me in a room with this big stack of papers that were already folded to be put in this big stack of envelopes. And she said, Matt, will you stuff these envelopes? I don't remember how old I was, but my memory of it is very vague. So I was little. So I saw a stack of papers and I saw a stack of envelopes and I was to stuff the envelopes. So I worked. I did what she asked. I worked for a long time. I mean, I was a little kid. It may have only been like 15 minutes, but it felt like a long time. And then she came in and just burst out laughing at me. And I could not understand. I've been doing just what she said. I've stuffed all these envelopes. But I haven't licked and sealed any of them. See, her plan was for me to take the task all the way from start to finish, apparently. She wanted me to lick and seal each envelope. She's like, I can't mail these. I can't mail it. All they, They've been stuffed, but they haven't been closed. And she just thought it was funny. I didn't even know how to close it. I couldn't. I didn't know how glue worked. I was probably like 15. My memory's so bad. <laughs> I don't remember well. But ultimately, she was like, "This, you missed sort of the point. We can't get it into the mailbox unless it's a sealed envelope. And I tell you that dumb story just to illustrate the fact that we can miss the point very easily. We can approach what we're doing here and miss the whole point very easily and render it useless. And I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen for those of you who did volunteer for specific roles that will require a lot of your time and energy. I don't want it to be a waste of your time. I don't want that to happen for me or for our church. So let's look at what Paul says. He gives several examples of ministry work that can be rendered worthless from a lack of love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So his first example has to do with communication. If I, have, if I speak with the tongues of men, I'm not going to get into the whole speaking in tongues thing. That's not his point here. But early in the book of Acts, when the church is initiated, the Holy Spirit comes down and it gets really bizarre. And people see flaming tongues of fire on people's heads. And, and they're speaking in such a way that all these different people from all these different nations can understand what the disciples are saying in their own language. And it's this miraculous Holy Spirit thing. And Paul's saying, even if, even if we're doing that, if it's done without love, it's just a noise. It's like a clanging cymbal or bashing gong. How many of you have kids? It's what happens as soon as you get on the phone. Every loud thing in the house begins to erupt as soon as you get on the phone with kids in there. And that's basically about as valuable as any attempt at ministry communication without love. Even if I speak with tongues of angels, he says. There's another aspect of speaking in tongues, call it like a prayer language. Um, 
that isn't decipherable to people. Paul talks about it in the next chapter, in, verse, in chapter 14. And I've been around folks who, I think this is what was happening, was they were speaking in some kind of a prayer language. Um, even if you do that, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not here to comment on whether or not these gifts are still in effect, although I, I suspect they are. Um, so even if you're that spiritual, that you have this Holy Spirit ignited secret prayer language that nobody else can understand, and even if you have this Holy Spirit ignited ability to communicate, to communicate the gospel to masses of people of different languages, if it's not done in love, it's just a noise. Now hear how drastic this is, and it only gets more drastic as he goes on. And by implication, since these are sort of the highest um, ideas of communicating as Christians, by implication, all other forms of communication are included, even what I'm doing now. So my preaching, this could be just a noise. The teaching that just went on, our singing, one word spoken quietly with love is worth infinitely more than the entire works of Shakespeare without love. One word sung with love, even off key, is worth infinitely more than Handel's Messiah performed by the most talented choir in the world done without love. That's the way God has arranged it. So I could, Billy Graham could come here every day and mentor me in how to preach. And I could become phenomenal, a phenomenal communicator. And uh, Stephen Furtick from Elevation could come and mentor our church in how to market, how to communicate through our web presence and our uh, everything else. So I could be an amazing preacher and we could be a marketing machine getting the word out there about Doolin's Grove. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir could come here and, and mentor us in how to put on these amazing musical uh, phenomenal performances. And we could do all those things and we can become amazing. But without love, it's all just a big waste of everybody's time. And this is how Paul came to the Corinthians to begin with. Listen to how he describes how he came to the Corinthians in chapter 2. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So it's not how excellently we can perform our tasks that makes the difference. It's if we're doing it in the spirit and the power of the love of God. That makes the difference. We wrongly think that it's up to us and our ability to do it really well. But that's not really where the power lies. It lies in love. It reminds me of that scene at the beginning of Despicable Me. I'm going to use another movie illustration even though I know you guys don't watch movies. I do and I think this way. At the beginning of this cartoon that my kids have, this rebellious kid runs up to one of the pyramids. There's tourists there looking at the pyramids in Egypt and this kid gets away from his parents and he falls off the scaffolding and he's falling toward the pyramid and to everyone's shock, the pyramid just 
pops and deflates and sinks. And everyone had been duped. It was an inflatable pyramid. The real one had been stolen a long time ago. I worry that how easy it is to build a fake inflatable church that one day would just pop and people will realize, oh, there was no substance to that ever. Or maybe to begin with, there was. And then as we got distracted by trying to build bigger, better, more excellent stuff, love slips out and we're left with a facade. I don't want that to happen to any church. And neither does Paul and neither does God, hence this part of his, his word being here. So love can negate even the highest ministry endeavor, including another example he gives, the area of knowledge. Prophetic, what does he say? Prophetic, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Have any of you heard of the documentary Religulous? Um, one of these political guys, Bill Maher, made it. It got terrible reviews. It wasn't very good. But basically, he went around the country and interviewed ignorant people about their religious beliefs so that he can make fun of them and make all religious faith look foolish. Basically, it was what I suspect. I guess that's wrong to guess at his motives that bluntly, but it's what it looked like. He went to the people that looked like they would be foolish and asked them their questions about their belief in Jesus and God and the Bible. And they answered in foolish ways, and it you know, was, was a real hoot for Bill Maher and these folks. And I, I suspect some of you are afraid that you'll get asked questions you don't know the answers to. Maybe that stops you from getting into conversations about Jesus with people you know. Maybe that even stops you in talking about it with your family or your kids because you know you don't have all the answers. Does anybody in here have all the answers? Okay. We're going to switch places. So we shy away because we think that we don't know enough. We might turn people away from Jesus single-handedly with our ignorance. But disciples are not primarily made with knowledge. They're made with love. Now, the knowledge is important, and it comes, and it grows, and it is important. I'm not saying it's not. But the great prerequisite for telling people about Jesus, for encouraging people in their faith, for being open, loving Christians, isn't knowledge and prophetic power and great understanding. It's love. It's having received the love of God through Jesus and then transferring that on to other people. A loving person who knows some answers is infinitely better than an unloving person who has all the answers. Who wants to talk to an unloving person who is a know-it-all? Nobody wants to talk to that person. But talk to someone who loves you. And it's just a whole different, whole different thing. He gives two other examples. These are big examples. He gives the example of faith. He even says, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Even great faith in ministry can be negated by lack of love. He talks about generosity. There's a growing movement about generosity or social justice. It's getting trendy. And that sounds negative, and I don't mean it to be negative, but it's getting popular for people to go and do like we're doing Saturday, to go and volunteer, 
Um, social justice is getting more on the radar for churches. People are even moving, relocating from the suburbs into inner city ghettos to try to love people, to try to be generous, to try to improve the community and the neighborhood. And Paul teaches that even the most radical sacrifice of generosity can be rendered worthless if it's not done with love, including giving your whole body to be burned, martyrdom. So the bottom line through all these verses here is that loveless ministers say nothing, are nothing, and gain nothing. So you can see why this would be important on a Sunday like this, a commissioning service. When I'm going my hope is to rally us all up for our mission of making disciples. Because this goes for all of us, not just the examples he mentioned, but anyone who wants to tell people about Jesus, it goes for preachers, it goes for teachers, it goes for moderators and treasurers and trustees and deacons and deaconesses and committee members and singers and students and learners and custodians. It goes for all of us. So next we're going to go to verses 4 through 7. This quality of love. What does it look like? What would it look like? If we had this quality of love, this is a famous passage. If ministry was a balloon, this, what we're about to read, would be the helium. I have other analogies. You want to hear them? They, they get stupider as it goes on. If ministry was a zoo, love would be the animals. <laughs> or for you uh, more masculine people, if ministry was a gun, love would be the ammo. There you have it. So what does love look like? Well, Paul tells us, love is patient and kind in verse, the first part of verse 4. When we lose patience with somebody, all that reveals in us is a lack of love. It doesn't reveal so much about the person with whom we're losing our patience. It reveals in us that we lack love for them. Love does not envy or boast When we are uh, chafed by the success of someone else that we don't have, it reveals lack of love in our hearts. When we feel the need to promote ourselves, it reveals that we lack love. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Every morning, this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not. Every morning prior to my coffee, I reveal my lack of love. I'm so irritable in the mornings. And, it's, and I'm convicted by this. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but truth. Love bears, believes, hopes, and endures all things. When we give up on someone who just seems like they're never going to get their act together, it reveals more about us than it does about them. It's not about their hopelessness. It's about our lack of love. Now, did you notice that all this description corresponds with unlovely people? It didn't say love enjoys a good time with good friends. It says love puts up with the people that try our patience and make it hard to be kind. It's those who you want to outdo. It's those 
that insist on their own way. Love is revealed in how we relate to those who irritate us and those who flat out wrong us and those who sin against us. Love is revealed in how we treat those who are less than trustworthy, those who test our hope, who test our endurance. Our love is revealed in how we respond to the unlovely. So this is all really convicting. And up to this point, you probably feel kind of condemned, as I did quite a bit as I studied this. Because I look at this list, you know, and you hear some people teach, and they'll have you, like, put your name in there in place of the word love and see how it corresponds. Like, can I say this and it be true? Matt is patient and kind. Matt does not envy or boast. Matt is not arrogant or rude. Matt does not insist on his own way and so on. And I fail horribly. And I've been more convicted by this passage of Scripture than any in a long time, actually. And it makes me think, how many sermons have I got up and preached thinking more about how I sound than loving you? How many interactions with my kids has it been more about what my way, what I need to happen than about loving them? And I see this lack of love run its course all through my life. And I just, I suspect that many of you are the same. Maybe not. I might be the worst sinner here, like Paul says he is. But we can take heart. And here comes the good news. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? You can answer. That didn't sound like John 3.16, but I'm sure it was. Okay, the first couple words of the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world. See, the good news is we don't have to reach from within ourselves and conjure up this kind of love for people. The good news is God is love and God initiated this love for us and into us. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. So Christians, step one is you need to know you have received love. God is not like a parent sending his kid up to the cashier to pay for something. I do this, did this with Elias yesterday. We were at Home Depot, and I let him go and pay. But I didn't send him empty-handed. Give them what they need to go and do this. God is a really good father. He's not sending us into this task of ministry that is completely dependent upon love without giving us what we need. We've received love. And it's those who have received it that are able to give it. I'm going to read you a quick story from John chapter 4. A familiar story to you. Just to give you an example of how this love is given and received. John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Basically, just think of an outcast woman that people didn't typically love. Came to draw water. And Jesus was there. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, and this is the important part for our discussion, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Basically, his teaching here is that you're all thirsty people. But if you'll come to me, I'll give you a drink so good that you not only will never thirst again, but from within you will flow streams of living water. So in a world where we are all thirsty and we're all trying to extract what we're thirsty for, which is love from each other, If we go to Jesus, he not only gives us love, he so satisfies us that we're running over and we can actually give this love to other people. Now, without Jesus, you cannot love the way the Bible teaches. It's too dramatically selfless. But with him, you are freed to love in the most reckless and self-abandoned way imaginable. Some of you haven't heard my story about the woman at Walmart at the return counter. Have you ever had to return something at Walmart on a bad day when there's lots of other people that have to return things to Walmart after Christmas maybe? It's just it's an ugly situation to find yourself in. And we were there, and it was me and Meredith and maybe a kid or two. I don't even remember when this happened. And people were not pleased. It was taking forever there was some kind of complication up ahead of us in the line, and there was maybe six, seven, eight, nine of us in the line, and people were getting irritable. And to add to that, there was a woman who was disabled, an older woman who needed to get one of the uh, motorized carts. She couldn't shop without it. There was only one poor girl manning the return counter. So she had to leave the counter where there's this line of grumbling, increasingly agitated people. And go help this, if I remember correctly, also grumbling, agitated woman get into her motorized cart. And to do so, she had to move these big buggies of returns. Everything was a disorderly mess, and it was just frustrating on everybody. And this sweet young lady, it was the most beautiful demonstration of patience I have ever seen, I think. That may be overstating it, but it was a very beautiful display of patience. She very calmly went about what she needed to do. She spoke very sweetly to this lady. She got everything unjammed so she'd get the buggy out, got the lady seated on it. That took a while. Got her on her way, returned to her post, pleasantly helped the next person. And you could see how her patience just sort of overflowed into and onto all the other people there, including myself. There's a power in that. I don't know if she was a Christian, but I would have to think so because that was almost supernatural patience. And it affected all of us there. And because she gave that patience, the rest of us were, were able to begin to give patience because we received it. Do you understand the relationship I'm trying to illustrate? You receive it and then you're able to give it. I see that same phenomenon with my kids. You know, if, if I'm impatient, I've got my places I need to go, my things I need to do, and it exhibits itself in my frustration, I see that effect reverberate down through Elias and Lillian. 
But if I've had my coffee and my Bible and my head is set and I remember how patient my Lord has been with me and I'm patient and loving, I see that overflow onto my children. Have you seen that effect in your life too? So recipients of kindness can be kind. Recipients of patience can be patient. And in Jesus, we have an endless spring of selfless love to draw from that enables us to be so selfless with other people. So in other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of verses 4 through 7, not Matt. It will never work to replace my name with the word love in here. But listen to how well it works when you replace it with Jesus' name. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. For whom? Not for whom, for who? For you. You have received lavish love. All the things nobody else knows about you, Jesus knows, and yet he hung on a cross bearing that, enduring that patiently for you. Ministry apart from a vital connection to Jesus Christ is like toiling and working to build an irrigation system, digging ditches when there's no water source. And many, many people do that. And eventually they just get sick of it and they turn away from it because it's hard work. And there's no payoff if we're not connected to Jesus Christ. So very briefly, I want to tell you why love is so valuable to finish the thought. But my main idea is already out there. It's more important to me that you receive the love of Jesus Christ than that you do a really good job volunteering at Doolin's Grove. Infinitely more important. So why is love so valuable? Very briefly, he explains it. It's very profound, but I don't have that much time now. In verses 8 through 13, I'll sum it up. This isn't hallmark. This isn't some touchy-feely idea. Oh, love everybody. Love is valuable because it lasts. Love lasts. Love is connected to eternity in a way that all these other things are not. Because one day Jesus will return... And all the things that we do to pursue him, all the um, prophesying or preaching and teaching and all the knowledge and the understanding that we try to use to pursue him, it'll be fulfilled. He'll be here. The perfect will be here. And all this stuff that we've done in part and known in part will be fulfilled. And we'll look back on it and I think we'll snicker at how little we really understood, how little we really were accomplishing with all of our great works that we were doing. Like children. That's what Paul teaches in those next verses. We do those things like children. My kids think that my office in there is their office. And they'll go in there often after church and they'll say, I have to work. And they'll shut the door and they'll get on the phone and they'll push buttons and they'll get out papers. And, you know, they're being cute. They're not really doing that much. And I'm pretty sure that's how we're going to look back on, on all this that we're doing. But love isn't like that. When we love the way we just described... 
we're already acting like adults spiritually. Does that idea translate? Does that make sense? Okay, I'll close with this. I think that you've already seen this phenomenon of love being infinitely more valuable and important than a bunch of activities. Um, So I want you to think about who has had the greatest impact on your life, especially spiritually speaking. Is it someone who did a lot of stuff, taught a whole lot, wrote a whole lot, or is it someone who loved you? Someone who spent time with you and loved you. I've probably preached in Sunday services and other things, probably around 150 sermons since I've been here. I have no, I I do not think that you guys remember all that. (laughs) I don't think so. I'm under no um, misconception there. I know that my main ministry here will be loving you, especially those that I'm able to spend the most time with. Just like Jesus. His main ministry was with 12 and even among those, it was three that he spent the majority of his time with and loved. So as in the moment, I invite the officers to come forward and I'm gonna invite everyone else to stand up at that time too and recognize us all as ministers. Love people. That's what lasts. That's what's important. And it may give expression in other tangible things like preaching or teaching or um, being the moderator or treasurer or deacon or deaconess or trustee or members at large. It may express itself in other ways. But I never want you just to get busy about doing stuff. I want you to receive the love of Jesus and then translate that out to other folks.